Wow, it has been some time. But we're back. I'm back for now. This is Tony Gapastone for the Holy Cannoli Podcast. And it is a very interesting time in our world here for this new episode that I'm bringing back. It's been a while. Yep. And I'm sorry. Uh, There's just been a lot going on. Uh, But now here, episode 59 comes out in the middle of 2020, March coronavirus, COVID-19 concerns and scares and people are heading for the hills or shut in their houses for for good reason because we want to flatten out this virus. And uh, in some way, I'm kind of putting this podcast out there for, uh, how do you say that? For posterity so that I can remember. (laughs) Uh, It's been a few months. I think the last podcast I did was November or December for for Holy Cannoli, Uh, managing two podcasts and leading a church part-time and then my nonprofit organization, Brave Maker, had to put something on pause. So, but because now my life uh, is freed up, I should say freed up in a different way, meaning I had to cancel or postpone lots of things like many of you all. And so I'm going to put some extra time and effort into creating some podcasts here. Uh, Good thing is I have a couple in the bank stored up to put out for you today. I'll get to that in a second. But I wanted to say a shout out to Amy C., who is a Canolio who I ran into at Safeway when the rest of the world was trying to stock up on food and toilet paper. I was not hoarding toilet paper, let's have you know. Uh, we were just trying to get enough food to get us through the weekend. And uh, now, you know, all these shutdowns, restaurants are being told to just go to carry out and theaters and Broadway in New York and everything is shut down all around the world, it seems like. Uh, people are wondering, our, rest- our grocery store is going to be shut down it's an interesting time. So I love all the things I'm seeing on social media where people are saying, hey, care about your neighbor, your elderly, your shut-ins. Make sure you're aware of those who don't have the ability to go stand in line for you know 45 minutes at Costco to stock up. So uh, there's some good things that are coming out of this, I hope. I know there's a lot of anxiety that's rising, a lot of financial concern. I think this is a big, a big deal. Uh, this episode here, episode 59, really comes as another part of the confessions of a pastor. And it will be, basically this will be part seven of confessions of a pastor. And it's kind of a, there's so many parts. It's kind of a part two to my conversation that I did at the Quest a few months ago on the Bible. And I think it's, it's appropriate to share this at this time. I was telling my wife, uh, Wendy, earlier, she, usually she's on this podcast with me, but she's watching Frozen 2 with the daughters <laughs> on Disney+, Plus because we're just trying to keep it together right now, <laughs> everybody here at home. Thank you, for Disney+, Plus for putting it out there months early. But I was telling her what sometimes gets under my skin during life, let alone times of panic. You know, we've lived through... Um, droughts here in California, fires here in California. Now the whole world is dealing with this pandemic, right? This often surfaces different reactions from people and how we all cope and how we all make sense of it. And I think what is not helpful for me is the using of scripture to maybe point fingers or to communicate the end of the world is near. <laughs> uh, I, I would even say maybe you can push it a little further. It's, it's, I think there's a thinking around 
how we can use scripture to scare people and to shame people. And I just, man, I don't have the tolerance for it at this point. I, I posted something on my own Facebook page about how we can use any scripture to say anything we want. Uh, and it got, you know, some funny little, little comments from there, but it was like, uh, I can do all things through taking a scripture out of context. Uh, second opinions was the verse that, it, you know, that was related that it, second opinions, three fifteen. I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. And I think it's, it's true. <laughs> we can say anything we want and I've been guilty of it too. I can, you know, I can oppress women. I can say, you know, women shouldn't be allowed to speak by quoting something from Paul, you know, that he, he said to a particular church, I can say, uh, LGBT people are, uh, an abomination through scripture. I can say that, you know, you're going to hell if you Someone's, someone is in hell for taking their life because people have done this. They've said all different sorts of things through scripture. And I'm just not, I'm not comfortable with that anymore. The way I look at the Bible has, has been changing and for the good. I mean, I still believe that this world is created by a creator and a God and the story of Jesus is super real and important to me and a center of my life. And at the same time, I try to be open-minded and open-handed with how I view these stories, with how, you know, at one point, you know, we talked about this with my mom on the podcast a couple years ago when she was just talking about being divorced. And there was a time when people who were divorced weren't allowed to take communion because of the way that they looked, that we looked at scripture. So we have uh, come a long way and I hope we keep coming a long way. And so, you know, I give to you this conversation that I spoke at the Quest in November of 2019. Uh, it was part two of the conversation in the Bible. And I, I want to do it gracefully. Um, as I said, you know, my tolerance has gotten a little thin. And so I just tend to unfollow or mute people who use scripture in a way to oppress or to try to cause fear and shame. Like, Hey, the end of the world is coming, or this is just a, a judgment on, you know, on the world for disobedience and sin. So this virus is taking people's lives. Like that just doesn't work. And if, yeah, if I knew people would be open, you know, sometimes the best way uh, for confrontation in my mind is face to face. So I, if I don't have that opportunity, I try to do it in an inbox or in a text by saying, hey, can we talk? <laughs> um, but most of these people, unfortunately, uh, I, I don't think are willing to go there. And I've seen this with other responses, so I usually just unfollow. All that to say, I, I hope that you are finding some inspiration. Uh, churches, the buildings, uh, and the gatherings that are typically open to the community are now going dark for uh, in-person gatherings for four to six weeks. I'm hearing some people say eight weeks. I just, our church is wondering if we'll even be able to have Easter gatherings. So this is a really cool time to explore uh, the the scriptures and what it means to be a person of faith in this unique way in 2020. Uh, we had a really cool, I thought, a cool gathering uh, on our Zoom link and Facebook Live through our Quest Church this morning. So through Holy Cannoli, I hope I can provide some sort of hope and inspiration. And let me just tell you that seeing somebody at the grocery store and getting that feedback about Holy Cannoli was what re-inspired me to come back. 
uh, because sometimes I don't, you know, when you don't hear feedback on, on your work, it can be challenging, right? So thank you for that. So if anyone else has any feedback or you'd like us to be talking about things, we're open. Um, my wife and I will jump, my wife will jump back in on the conversation soon because we're going to have some weeks here at home shut in with the kids. <laughs> Pray for us. Uh, and I know many of you are in those same positions. So uh, hear this, God loves you. What we know about God and creation, uh, let's cling to uh, the hopeful, the, the Jesus-loving centric message that I think most of scripture is communicating that we're all seen and loved and heard and chosen and created for a purpose. And we're meant to bring hope, that same hope and life and love to the world through our unique skills and giftedness and created being. So uh, everyone, I love, shout out to my friend Stephen Wang, who's creating an opportunity to serve those who are shut in, those who are elderly, by making a deliver a pickup grocery shopping service and volunteer babysit. I mean, there's all these really cool things that are stirring right now. Uh, this is history, history in the making. So with that, I hope uh, whether you're shut in at home or on a treadmill or uh, just waking up, drinking some coffee, trying to get some good thoughts in your head that this conversation about the Bible gives you permission to keep engaging and asking questions. And I would love to know what you're learning because, again, I could be wrong. I don't have all the answers. I'm just doing my best to respond with what I know, with what I've studied. And ultimately, at the end of the day, I think everybody's just saying what they think it is, what they think it means. None of us really, really knows. Uh, I know life is sacred and life is strange, so enjoy my confessions of a pastor here and talking about the Bible. You are listening to the Holy Cannoli Podcast. It's all about making sense of life, who we are, and why we're here. Life is sacred and life is strange. And here's our dad, Tony Gapastone. Three weeks ago, we started this uh, set of conversations called Sacred Questions. Uh, embracing doubt for the sake of integrity. This, this idea that it's okay and we're welcomed and we're actually invited to bring our, our questions and our doubt to God, to each other, about God, about each other, about how we understand this world. And uh, last week I was uh, sharing with you about how I had cracked my crown on a, a taco, threw it in a bush, so I had to go back 20 minutes later and find it. I got it you know, cemented back in this week, so I'm feeling good about myself. Yes. But uh, another example of how God has been speaking to me through just my life, I was driving up here on Wednesday. Wednesday is when we do our pizza lunch. And my maintenance light, it says maintenance required, the yellow light. It wasn't oil, it was maintenance required. I'm like, ah. Usually I, I pray through those things and just hope they go away, but I'm trying to be more mature about that. Uh, and, my, and my wife is always like, can we not pray about like, car issues especially? Can we just get them taken care of? So I stopped at the nearest Jiffy Lube. Now I had been to a Jiffy Lube in July, which was when I started here with the Quest in July to get an oil change. And I had a little Jiffy Lube sticker telling me that I had proof of that oil change. So I went in there saying, maintenance required light is on. I got an oil change three months ago. Maybe it's something different. This is no joke. The guy goes, oh, it's fine. I'll just flick it off. You'll be fine. I'm saying, uh, you're going to just flick it off, I'm going to be fine. I'm looking at my watch going, I do have to get up to the Quest for pizza lunch. That's going to be okay for now. Sure, that's, that, that's great. I'll take that. While I'm driving, I'm thinking, 
that doesn't sit right with me. I probably should make a follow-up and figure out what's really happening, because of course I'm sure something is happening. And then long story short, I take it to my, my Toyota dealer who I go to all the time, like, oh yeah, your tires are totally bald, you've got some air filter issues, we gotta change this and that, and like $1,000 later, of course, of course. But what did that little Jiffy Lube, and I don't, I don't mean to like bash Jiffy Lube, I love Jiffy Lube, I'm sorry, but this one person might have been a little clueless. It just made me think about how when we bring questions like this, was everything in the Bible truly intended by God or just human interpretation? The, what I get sometimes, like, oh, these stories, these prophecies, these poetry, these laws, these letters, you know, they're all, you take them literally. What is said in those words is said because they have a reason, which we could talk about for days. But it made me kind of feel like what I joked about last week, that this bumper sticker, God said it, that settles it, you know, I believe it, let's move on. I almost felt like that situation of, oh, it's just this, this, flick it off, you'll be fine. Don't ask any more questions and move on. That's not okay. Uh, it's not okay, you know, for our cars or our lives, but it's not okay for our, our understanding of God, you know, of the universe, of how we understand what it means to be spiritual, to, to follow Jesus. So I'm really glad that we as a church can do this type of conversation, and we can do it in a way that's compassionate and graceful. And, you know, I've said this, um, try to say this every time I speak now. Just because I have this role behind this you know, podium thing and I have a, a title doesn't mean that I'm right. This is just how I see it. And I'm, I'm trying to the best of my ability to study and to cross-reference and to think with the mind that I've been given. And uh, you don't have to agree. And sometimes I really hope you don't agree, as hard as that might be. I might change my mind someday. In fact, I probably will change my mind someday. I've been following Jesus for 27 years and I've been, I've been in an official role as a, I mean, if you count my internships in college, it's been like 23 years since I've had this official role. And when I look back at some of the papers that I wrote, and I have some CDs of some messages that I, that I gave back in the day, it's, I'm embarrassed with some of the things and the stances that I took and the ways that I presented myself as the all-knowing, wise you know, pastor. Now I'm like, uh, I, I'm okay just saying I'm still learning, and I want to be, and I hope we all can do that same thing too. My bottom line is I just hope this helps. I hope this helps someone, some way, and if it helps you to strengthen something you've always thought or strengthen something you didn't think before, then great, or it just gives you some good conversations that maybe never resolve. That's great too. I'm, I'm happy with that. So you know I've been a part of you know, the church in these official roles for so many years in my life. Which also makes me very, and I, I want to do it critical, like constructively evaluate, evaluatory in a good way. Uh, sometimes it can come off you know, negatively critical, and I think sometimes the church, we deserve that. We deserve some of the criticism. We deserve, you know, when we, we were here on Tuesday night, we talked about the film that we watched on Tuesday night showed there is some need for being critical, uh, for pointing out the problems that we, and I say we because me, I, that I have caused in the way that I understand. I brought this to you guys last year when I spoke. Remember this? Some of you who were here. This is my grandma's Bible. Uh, <laughs> remember this book? It probably weighs about eight or nine pounds. I was literally working out with it yesterday just to see if I could get sore. And once I got to 10 or 12, I was like, this hurts. <laughs> this feels like what is probably what it's supposed to. Like, it's got to be weighty. You got to feel it. And my less dominant arm, I can't even get to 10 probably. But the, the, the weight that we put on this, the way that we understand this, um, I know 23 years in this. Uh, I, the, some of the, the negative criticism that we deserve, 
has caused you know, me as I step back. I had a year and a half almost of not being a part of a church in an official capacity. Uh, after I resigned from my former church, I had you know, a year and a half almost before I said yes to the quest. And I'll, I need to unpack a little bit more of that. But in that year and a half-ish, I spent a lot of time thinking and reflecting uh, about this book, about how I interpret it, because I, I had freedom to do that. And I came away with, uh, I always mention this guy, naked pastor David Hayward. Uh, I came away with a little PTSD, I think. So this little cartoon says, what's this? And it's somebody opening a box. It's a going away gift from the church. And she's holding PTSD. This might be triggering for you. Because in some ways, I think the way that we have interpreted this book and the way that we've conducted ourselves in the world has caused a lot of stress in people's lives. And I feel in some way, uh, you know, I'm, as I evaluate myself, I feel pretty healthy, but at the same time, like, wow, like there is these hurts, these fears that I have come away with, these, these shames of how maybe I try to follow Jesus that maybe haven't been welcomed or interpreted, the people that I choose to welcome into my life or partner with. You know, I told you last week, even just taking this job, I had loved ones, people call me a false teacher and say I'm leading people astray simply because I'm partnering with a gay person, you know, who's clergy. And this is a real thing. And as we do this sacred question series, it's been reminding me of how I need to be healed, how I need to let God unravel some of the ways I got wound up, you know, in, in this culture. And I wanted to share as we you know, kind of jump into some of the is it okay to question what's in this word? Is it okay to question what's in this book and wonder, did God intend everything, every single word? Is every single word intended by God, or is there a different way to look at it? And I'm advocating for, yes, there is a different way to look at it. Um, here's a couple stories that I was thinking about this week that um, really uh, caused you know, maybe some hurts you know, in my life that I, I was saying, oh, maybe I still need to deal with this. Uh, one thing is I have walked and run in a lot of circles where we talk about the Bible in such a way that it's good with great high reverence that if you're going to speak, you know, from a place like this, then you've got to have a lot of things in order. You've got to have your degrees. You've got to be able to back everything up with multiple sources and commentaries and other theologians, which I think in some great way is necessary. Uh, and at the same time, I've had people tell me, like, if you don't spend more than 20 hours a week reading it and, and alone and, and, and researching it, then you're not fit for this place. I'm like, 20 hours a week, it's a long time. It's like half, that's like all my time that I have, you know, is uh, in this role. So I weigh, like, I had to balance this place of going, oh, I want to spend that much time, you know, in this world, but I also want to be with people. I also want to flesh it out and, 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 and ask questions and then be with the hurting. And again, please stay after the gathering today. Once we close Facebook Live, I want to tell you about a, a story that I encountered this week that is so important about how we actually get to live out these words and flesh it out. So that's one thing. Someone you know, telling me how fit I have to be to do this. Uh, another conversation uh, that hurt me at one point or that kind of... I, I, I say molded how I understand how to be a pastor or how to question or not, was uh, I was privileged with 
what I do here to planning our Sundays and helping direct and guide the conversations that we have as a church. And some of you know me, obviously, if you were here Tuesday, I really care about stories and films. And I think stories and films can really give us a clue uh, into the parables of Jesus and into how we see the world. I'm going to show you a clip of a movie in a second. But when I brought this idea to the church, it was already planned out. We were going to do four, eight weeks of Oscar-nominated films and talk about how these are like modern-day parables. And I set up, I was a part of a larger church with about 1,200 people, four different gatherings. I set up our experience almost to look like a movie premiere with a red carpet and velvet ropes and that kind of thing. And after the first Sunday, I had 30 people uh, bind together to make a statement that they were going to leave the church uh, until we finished the series because they didn't think it was biblical to be able to bring movies into the holy place you know, uh, of God. It just kind of rattled me. I'm like, wait, 30? But you know, 30 people in 1,200 isn't that much. But still, it was 30. If it was one person, I would have been like, oh my gosh, God, what did I do? I'm ruining the church. I'm sending these people away. It just caused me to have this, this weight you know, within me. Uh, Another one uh, was at Christmas time, and we're getting, can you believe we're almost at Christmas? Like, we as a staff are talking about, when are we going to decorate? What are we going to do for Christmas Eve? It's wild. But I, I love Christmas, as I'm sure many of you do. I love the story. I love the colors and the lights, and I was really excited to do something different. So you know how the, the, the nativity story, Mary and Joseph and Jesus arrive, and it says there's, um, there's no room for them in the inn, the innkeeper says. I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we did something like almost like a hotel sign? Instead of saying there's no room at the inn, we said something like, uh, uh, it was like, hark, you know, behold him, all are welcome, or something like that. There is room in the inn. So I had a friend of mine who's an amazing stage designer, again, trying to use you know, gifts and things from the outside world to come into this world, and it was really cool. It was like remote controlled, and you could make it blink and do different things. And I was so proud of it. And I got this anonymous letter that said, of course, Jesus doesn't approve of neon lights. <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, boom, 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 boom. Uh, and one of the final stories, uh, and then I'll get to this, this thing. This is like my free counseling. You guys like my counselors here. Uh, the final one was when um, we decided to remove the American flag. And I know this is a very sensitive topic. Uh, you know, in the 1950s, uh, pastors would preach right next to a, you know, an American flag, kind of like this. So there would be a flag here, and there would be like a Christian flag, which is basically a cross with a flag, a flag with a cross on it. Uh, and our church had had that for a, new, for a long time. And, um, although I believe the gospel of Jesus is very political, meaning caring about systems and how things are governed, there's not one political party in which Jesus would affiliate with. I said, I think we should remove this, <laughs> this you know, thing. We're not saying the Pledge of Allegiance, which I'm also at times uncomfortable with. I know that might make some of you uncomfortable too, but that's okay. Uh, I said, let's just remove it. It, it just is causing a stumbling block. And again, a group of people who rallied against you know, this notion. And people li- like literally said one person, I can't worship Jesus without the American flag you know, in, the, in the space. So all these things. And you might find yourself on many sides of the conversation, and that's OK, too. Please, you, you don't have to agree. I'm just saying, this is my journey. So as I come today, sometimes, I still have all this stuff in my life and in my heart, baggage, if you will. Uh, I love this book so much. 
But when people tell you that you don't and you're actually an enemy of it, like many of you experienced in your life in one way or another, it's traumatizing. It really is. And so I want to just walk through this so gently and compassionately, I hope, for all of us. So we're just saying, let's, let's talk about this. You don't have to agree. Some of you might feel like this person in here. You might have PTSD as well. But I hope that this is a start of many, many conversations. I want to show you a clip from a movie as a way to start this uh, question. Is, uh, is the Bible, is everything in it from God? Or is it a human's interpretation? Or is it something of both? Uh, when Michael's ready, he's going to show you a one-minute clip from Bridge to Terabithia, a book made into a movie. I'm really glad I came. That whole Jesus thing. It's really interesting, isn't it? It's not interesting. It's scary. It's nailing holes through our hands. It's because we're all vile sinners. God made Jesus die. You really think that's true? It's in the Bible, Leslie. You have to believe it, and you hate it. I don't have to believe it, and I think it's beautiful. You've got to believe the Bible, Leslie. Why? Because if you don't believe in the Bible, God will damn it to hell when you die. Wow, Maybell. Where'd you hear that? That's right, Hunches. God damns it to hell if you don't believe in the Bible. I think so. Well, I don't think so. I seriously do not think God goes around damning people to hell. He's too busy running all this. Maybell says, God damns you to hell if you don't believe it's in the Bible. Anyone ever heard that before or a version of that before? And then her friend saying, wait a second, that's how you see it? You have to believe it and you hate it. But I, she's got new eyes. She had just come from a church service and she's seeing things a little differently. Yeah, a marketing message. That's interesting. A medieval marketing message. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. If you want people's money, make them feel guilty. It's hard to hear. It's hard to hear that because I, you know, I think I've shared with you here before as we even talk about giving and being a giving culture, we don't want to shame people into giving, but sometimes the way we see churches grow is by shaming people to give because of the work we're doing to save all those bad people outside of this building, right? Yeah. Ken, did you have something? That's a great invitation for us as we continue to talk. And we do value that here at The Quest, that it is a conversation that we're in. God is not a God of condemnation. God is a God of love. We sang a song earlier, Patty led us in, is that your love never changes. And as we were singing that, I was thinking about how we understand in the First Testament and the um, Second Testament, Old Testament or New Testament, that as we shared last week, Here's a people trying to understand this God. Now, did the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that we know from the first testament, did that love ever change? We just sang that it didn't, but the way that we understood that love is now changing in us. And so that's why I think as I have come to grow over the past, you know, better part of my life, 
looking at this book as this invitation to dialogue. Looking at this book as an invitation that people, I think if we could sit down with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, if we could sit down with Ruth and Paul and Peter, if we could sit down with all these people who filled these pages, I think they would agree too. Knowing what we know today, knowing what they knew then, things, they would say we, we need to change. We see the world differently. Not that God has changed, but that we have. We have more understanding of gender, as we talked about on Tuesday, and the mystery of it. We have more understanding uh, about how um, weather, <laughs> how weather works. I mean, think about this. You know, one of our most iconic children's stories, there's a preschool around the block, and you know, no, no um, ill will against preschools named Noah's Ark Preschool. But look at this picture. If you look deeper, what's, what's below the boat? Dead bodies. <laughs> Dead bodies floating around the boat. The animals are peering over, looking really cute. But here's all these dead people. Now, maybe back then, and again, the flood is uh, in the story from our testament is not the only story that describes this. There are many different tribes and cultures and religions that have a flood story. Now, they didn't have Facebook and Twitter or CNN or wherever you got news back then. They didn't have that. They were limited. So let's say if all we knew was Marin County, and in order to get beyond Marin County, you would have had to have the kind of technology that we have today, and all of a sudden there's a humongous flood. We've experienced flooding here and torrential rain pours, and maybe animals die, and maybe people die. And how do you understand when you're in this culture that understands deities and creators as being ones that punish when things are bad and give good things when things are good? How might we spin, and I say spin not trying to be you know, controversial, but how might we tell that story, right? How might we understand as human beings trying to make sense of what is happening in the world? Now, did this story really happen? I think there was really a flood in some way. Was there really an ark? I want to believe it. I do, but I don't know, too. I don't. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with there being some mystery around this. Uh, remember I said last week my tooth got jacked, and I also, what else happened to me? Oh, I ran into my, my hatchback on my car, so I had a big gash right here, uh, and I had posted the picture, because I'm like, I don't care. I, I feel like people need to know, like, my life isn't all great, you know, in hair product. It's, uh, 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 it's, it's getting jacked once in a while, and it's not being able to pay my rent, and it's having to pay $1,000 for tires. I'm trying to be honest. And a good intentioned uh, friend uh, said, maybe you're not praying enough you know, commented on my thing. And I was like, ah, PTSD, PTSD. No, 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 no. It's not that. But we sort of try to make sense of the world like that, don't we? We try to figure out what is happening with the pain. Why is so-and-so happening? Why is this happening? So there's, you know, scriptures that we have in Isaiah. Um, I'm just going to point out a couple of scriptures where if we take them, like we just were to rip one page out of here, and we try to make a theology or try to make a worldview out of one page, it might be a little slanted. That's called uh, micro-interpretation, is we narrow down on one verse. And sometimes these are good. We put them on calendars. We put them on T-shirts. We put them on you know, our, our mirrors for, in our bathroom on index cards. And that's good stuff. But there's also some really 
wild, what in the world, bananas type of stuff too. If you, I have a friend who is an artist and she's been doing a collection of just really weird, quirky Bible verses and making them like on some beautiful background that you know, like people would want to post. Like, you know, like that one where uh, the woman took the peg and slammed it through the guy's temple. Like, just random, out of context, kind of awkward and weird. So there's a bunch of verses that if we just were to narrow down would cause us to be skewed. But that's why we need to have a macro interpretation of this whole 66 books written by 40 different people and try to understand from a, a large you know, 30,000 foot view, what is the narrative, what's the story of the narrative from beginning to end, right? So Isaiah says, my word goes out from my mouth. It won't return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for what I, what I send it. Uh, I could use that anytime I speak as a way to pat myself on the back or maybe give myself security to say, okay, whether I you know, stumble here or do anything worthy, I can just trust that something's going to happen. And that's, a, that's kind of a good thing to think. And at the same time, this is a very specific prophecy for a very specific time, right? So we have to be able to look at that and take that into, into context. Peter, this is a friend of Jesus. Oh, by the way, one of my favorite things that has been helping me as I understand scripture, a guy named Andy Stanley, who's a pastor, uh, writes a lot of books. He says something that has helped me. When we talk about the Bible, we should get this phrase out of our, out of our language, like the Bible says, or the Bible clearly says. Because the Bible doesn't, and this is again my opinion or his, the Bible doesn't clearly say one specific thing. It's a conversation. Even the Bible disagrees with itself, meaning the people within the Bible, the authors, even comment on each other's. It's like bloggers today or Twitter people today. You're constantly tweeting and, 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 and commenting on what someone else is saying. The Bible is a lot about that too. We get to look at scripture like that, and, and I would encourage us to. So he would say, instead of the Bible says, above all, you must understand. No, no, no. A friend of Jesus named Peter said, kind of cool, different way to look at it. A friend of Jesus, a guy who hung out with Jesus, his name was Peter. Also, don't miss this point, he denied Jesus and uh, had a very you know, hard time uh, when all you know, Jesus was being arrested, he even ran away. So give him some humanity. And he said this, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets through though humans spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, it's very interesting. This is one of Peter's first letters. Now, Peter was also a very staunch resistor to allowing Gentiles to be included in the family of God. Very interesting. He had to be confronted by Paul, where Paul one time came to him and said, what are you doing? Why are you making people be circumcised? Why, if they want to follow Jesus at 35 or 40, don't ouch, don't make them be circumcised. They're men. So here is a great example of someone in scripture who's saying something who might, if we had the ability to talk to him today with the knowledge that we have today, it might say, oh gosh, I didn't realize what I was doing. In fact, he did. He did acknowledge to Paul that he was putting stumbling blocks in front of people from what he knew and what he understood. So here's two different writers, Paul and Peter. Here's John, another friend of Jesus, one of the disciples, one of the 12. In his uh, revelation, he was outcast to an island, and he was praying and receiving some visions. 
visions about what was going to happen. So he thought, you know, for the future. Uh, many of these words, this is like the very last chapter of Revelation, the very last book of the Bible. This book has been used to create a lot of fear. <laughs> uh, this was written around 60 AD-ish, and we've built, we, the church culture, we've built a end-time philosophy based on this book. Like, what's going to happen? How is it going to happen? People have used this book to say the exact day and time that Jesus might return. I mean, this book caused me a lot of fear. When I first came to follow Jesus and know Jesus, uh, I love the two guys who led me to know about God and introduced me to him. They were very much into art and creativity, hence probably why I was drawn to them. And they would always be drawing and doing revelation-type artwork. Uh, one of my like, favorites I can still see to this day was a picture of a guy being beheaded, you know? And he had like a big cross on him, and it was for the glory of Jesus, you know? And I remember them saying, like, if we really want to follow Jesus, we have to be ready to get our heads cut off. <laughs> and I was like, wow, okay. And there's some truth to that. Like some places in the world, you can be killed, for following Jesus, we're still hearing stories about that. <laughs> but I had, to, I had to, back then I was like scary, like okay, am I really ready to follow Jesus? Do I really want my head to be cut off? Like I kind of like my head a little bit. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but this book has created even fear for people, like you know, conspiracy theories, looking for numbers. And I remember, you know, the, word, the number 666. In fact, my wife uh, was away this weekend with my two younger daughters and she texted me a receipt from McDonald's, and she said, sign of the times, and it was number 666 was her order, you know? And I just laughed, like, there was a time when I would have asked them to give me another receipt, you know? Or if I went to buy something and it was 666, I would have bought a pack of gum, you know, because I didn't want to be attached to that number. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, just Google 666, okay? But see, all this fear that has been instilled within us... So we talked about this last week. If we look at all, okay, again, this idea, this, this, go away with this today, a macro interpretation. Are we interpret, interpreting what this scripture is from a macro level or a micro level? You need a dialogue with both. If we're looking at what a friend of Jesus said, we also have to look at what a disciple um, or the apostle Paul said. We have, that's how people would determine what should go in the Bible. Who said it? Did the person know Jesus, and is it aligned with other people's writings, or is it really weird? Those are questions we need to be able to dialogue. It wasn't like, do we know for sure that God inspired it? It was about the conversation, and about the people, and about what was being said. And here, Jesus, I love, who was this, Bill, last week, uh, when he left. He's not here today. But he said, based on this scripture, he said, it's really interesting. If we look at Jesus saying, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill it, and everything in the law is going to be accomplished. Every word will be accomplished. He said, we can also look at it from what Jesus did on the cross. In his last words, it is finished. Perhaps there's an invitation there to look at the law, all these things being written as being accomplished in his life and in his love and in following in his ways. In fact, so the greatest, you know, the greatest, um, sorry, the greatest invitation would be looking at every single one of these things through the lens of love, through the lens of Jesus, and doing away with this idea of even having to use this word law, because for some of us that can be triggering and stressful, right? So I want to 
Give us some other clues why I think we're invited here into a dialogue or why we're invited to look. And I didn't make a slide for this, but if you have a Bible on your phone or if you have your literal book or someone wants to borrow this 10-page grandma Bible, you're welcome to as well. It's New King James. Um, in, in the letter that Paul wrote to the church of Corinthians, he says some interesting things that I think uh, we need to look at. <clears throat> He's talking about like what how people should deal, I think it should be uh, Corinthians 7, sorry, not Corinthians 6. He's talking to the church about what people should do if they're single or what people should do if one of your spouses dies. Remember, there were certain laws, right? Especially if you were a a woman and your your spouse died. Well, well, law says you got to marry the brother. Sorry, (laughs) that's just what God said, right? How weird. Paul writes this. He says, I'm going to write to you about um, singleness. In fact, he says, I I don't think it's good. It's not good for a man to marry. You should actually be single. There was a time, I remember, you know, growing up within the church that uh, there was a lot of talk about it's better for a person to be single because they could focus more on the the Lord because Paul says that in, in 1 Corinthians 7, that you're actually distracted if you're married. And I remember thinking for a long time, maybe I shouldn't get married because I'm supposed to be fully focused on God, because having a spouse would deter me from the good work of God. And I would go to 1 Corinthians 7, not 6. But he says something interesting in here that I think, again, invites me to look at Scripture differently. He says this. This is in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 7. To the married, I give this command. Then he says in parentheses, as it's interpreted, but the interpreters, not I, but the Lord. He makes a distinguishing factor. He's like, I think this is what the Lord is saying here. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried. So he's straight up saying, this is what the Lord wants. Now, we have seen, I have seen this verse be quoted to women who have been abused by husbands. Saying, scripture says, Paul said, you should not leave your marriage. Even if he's hitting you. This is what God clearly says. Because Paul said it. See how dangerous that could be? Now, here's another clue. And to the rest, I say this. He says, in parentheses, as the interpreter is explaining, I, not the Lord. This is verse 12. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband, and so on, do the homework and go read this. This is something not talked about very much. Here, it's right in Scripture. Paul is saying, I am saying this, not the Lord. Then he's over here saying, the Lord is saying this, not me. How many times have you heard that? Anybody? You've heard it lots? Okay, great. Margo, you're way ahead of us. Thank you for being so progressive. I feel like I haven't heard that very much. This is really important. As we figure out like these sacred questions, they are welcome. Why are they welcome? Because even the writers themselves are in dialogue with themselves and with others. Even the, the authors of this book that we call sacred are saying, there's some doubt here. There's some wonderings. I don't have it all together. And I know for some of you in this room, this could be really like you're gritting, you're holding onto the chair, like, I don't know what to think about this. And that's okay. Again, you don't have to agree. But when we take looks and we dive in, I think this will actually free us up more and remove some of the fear. I mean, I know I still have fear. I know this is going out on Facebook Live. I will share it. 
And like I said, I will be open to the people who want to question. And I, I welcome it. I do. And I'm trying to be a good listener. I don't want to be defensive. Uh, side note, one of my favorite things a mentor of mine gave me in any context that's really helpful is this question. If you, if you should so dare, if you want to grow, whether you have employees or uh, relatives or neighbors or people in your small group or your spouse, try this question someday. If you knew I wouldn't get defensive, what would you tell me? And then just listen. It's hard. It's really hard. If you knew I wouldn't get defensive, what would you tell me? I try to practice that. I'll you know, eventually practice that here in one-on-ones with our staff, with my wife, with my kids. You can't retort back. You have to listen and say, thank you. I'll do some thinking about that. And then get back to the person when you're a little bit level-headed. Because <laughs> you will get defensive when someone brings that up. But if you want to be someone who grows, use that question. If you knew I wouldn't get defensive, what would you tell me? Cool. Now's the time for questions and responses. So somebody made a comment about the American flag in the worship gatherings or keeping an American flag at the uh, center of a worship building or pulpit. And so then I then responded. It's a great thank you for surfacing. And you're probably not alone. <clears throat> One of the great conversations I had with a friend of mine said that he thought it was a good idea to remove it unless we put every single country's flag in the space. Because God is a global God. And we tend to, and this is on us as Americans, we tend to think God is all about us. God bless America, right? And God is a God about blessing the world, for God so loved the world, right? So I am more comfortable. <laughs> we don't have enough space <laughs> in here. But it would be really cool. And I've been at one, in one church building, I think it was in San Francisco, that attempted to do that. And I thought it was really beautiful. And they also had a very multicultural congregation because of that. Because I think there are consequences to just having one flag, is that people from other spaces who come in don't feel comfortable. Or people from... Um, people who've been harmed from certain parties that might be associated with Christianity also feel uncomfortable or unwanted, right? So there's two sides, three sides, ten sides to that story. And so that's why I think it's better for us to err on the side of grace and either have all of them or none of them. John Hoffman surfaced the question, if, if this is just all a bunch of humans trying to figure God out, but there is some inspiration and it's not maybe how we used to, to look at it, uh, it challenges how we do life. It challenges how we find our ethic. What is right then? And I think that's a really great, great question because in some way, if we say this is the authority of God and everything in it, we just follow, uh, then it's maybe easier. You know, what it says about every issue, there are people who say this Bible has every single answer to all of life's problems. I don't believe that necessarily. But what I do see here, again, another opportunity for us here in Scripture in the book of Acts, which details how the church was being formed, how different councils and leaderships were developing in different churches. The disciples were trying to figure out who should replace Judas. Uh, they were praying about who, you know, what's the right fit? Uh, what should this person, what are the requirements of this person? Uh, and then they were also dealing with the question, okay, the word, the gospel, the good news is getting out beyond Jerusalem. How do we let people in with all these laws? Should we make them get circumcised or not? Remember I was saying how Peter, Jesus' friends, was sort of demanding that. But that they, they talked and they had a dialogue. 
And this phrase is really great. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. So they're boiling down 600 and something laws. <laughs> if you really want to be a part of God's kingdom, if you really want to be in the way of Jesus, just abstain from food, sacrifice to idols, from blood, the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You'll do well to avoid these things. <laughs> right? It, it, this seems good to us, and it seems good to the Holy Spirit. So again, here's another example of people just trying to figure it out. This seems good. So what is our ethic? Well, we can determine that murdering people is wrong, guys. We can determine that murdering people. Now, what about women? Should women be allowed? Because there's some scriptures that Paul wrote that said women shouldn't be allowed to teach men. People still use that to this day. I have a friend who said every time she speaks, there's people who leave her church because it's mainly predominantly men who leave the church. But when she speaks, there's people who walk out. Right? And I said, oh, that must be really hard. And she said, yeah, one of them is my friend. I said, oh, my gosh. Like, how have you talked about that with him? Have you addressed that with him? She said, oh, it's not a him. It's a her. To which I was like, whoa. Right? And again, that might be your story, too. I don't say that with judgment, but I say we all are invited to dialogue about this. How do we understand this, these words? So important. It seems good to me, and it seems good to God, that women should be allowed to teach men. It seems good to me, and I think it seems good to God, that LGBT people should be included in the family of Jesus, right? These are the conversations that we get to have today because we, of how we bring these questions to each other, to the community, to God, and to these scriptures. There's more questions, I'm sure. Uh, I'm going to pray. I'm going to watch a movie. Just kidding. Uh, We'll have one more song, and then we'll continue the dialogue. Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to say these things. Mm. Let me pray first. God, thanks that you invite us to question, to learn, to live. Thank you that your love never changes. We sang about that, but somehow we are changing in our understanding of that love. We're somehow changing our understanding in how we relate to you on on these stories that maybe some of us have guided us since we were a youth. We have new eyes to see and new ears to hear. May that be the case. And thanks for this building. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of it. And, and those who meet inside that we call the church, thank you that I've been welcomed to be me within this community. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I wanted to say, too, that's why I said yes to the quest, as I felt like I, I, I wasn't ready to go back to an official role, but I felt in some way that I could practice these new ideas that I was batting around. But we're still going to be imperfect. We're still going to hurt people. You're still going to hurt me. I'm still going to hurt you. You're not going to agree with me. I'm not going to agree with you because we're human beings. But I think for the most part, if we can walk in this way of dialogue and engagement with grace, I think we're on the right way. Thanks for listening to Holy Cannoli. If you liked my dad's podcast, please subscribe. Give it a review and share it with someone you think would be encouraged by it. Holy Cannoli Podcast is a proud production of Brave Maker Media. For more information or to donate, go to bravemaker.com to make your tax-deductible donation today.